I'm going to read to you four passages very quickly, and then I'm going to explain those four passages. If you want to follow on your Bible, you can, or on your phone or whatever. However, they will be on the screen behind, and I'll be reading directly off them. So let's take this journey. We're going on a journey. Is that okay? Going on a bit of a journey for about 30 minutes together, and I hope you enjoy this wonderful biblical journey. Here's the first verse I want to read to you, found in the book of John 20, verse 5. Look, it's in German as well. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there and did not go in. Here's the next verse I want to read. You'll probably know this verse from Luke 10, 31-32. It's the story of the uh, Good Samaritan. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw the man, he passed by. So too a Levite passed by. And then the next verse from John 13, 8. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, a great verse there, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What does all that mean? Well, most of you will know, or should know at least I hope, that whenever you read the Bible, there's always a background story or we call it context. You know, a thing it comes out of. When you read Paul's writings, um, the context is, is quite clear. He's trying to bring two groups of people, you might say, the Gentiles and the Jews together. But he's also dealing sometimes with what we call Gnostics, the, this other faith group that had got into the church all that time ago. And you remember the church was very formative in those years when Paul was writing. We've, we've established some of the things we need to know about such things. But, but when Jesus talked, or you read the story of Jesus, the context was completely different to Paul's. Jesus was working with, with a Jewish context only. Actually, you'll notice this because Jesus was quite tough on the Gentiles. At one point, if you remember, He said to a lady, what have I got to do with you, you Gentile dog? Now, that's not a nice statement to any of us here today, but He was a Jew in His Jewish context. For example, Jesus roamed around an area of about 100 kilometres, whereas Paul was a great missionary tourist, if you like. He went everywhere, didn't he, of the known globe. Jesus came up with the idea of the church and threw the word out as a creative word, but Paul told us how to do church. Uh, Jesus never really, never planted or started or ran a church. Paul, however, did a number of that. He planted a number of churches. And if you want to know how church works, you've got to read Paul, I find it funny when people say, oh, I'm following Jesus and he tells me all about how to do this thing here you're doing, church. Actually, that's not quite correct. You've got to read Paul. Paul tells you how to do this thing we're doing here. And um, so Jesus is writing to a Jewish context. Almost everything he talks about is in the framework of how a Jew thought. Are you with me? Now, the Jewish context in terms of religion and knowing God was a very... Um, sort of, what could I say? It was, well, it was completely religious in the sense that it was tradition and religion that got them to have rightness with God. And it all had to do with water. The Jewish context was very much about baptisms, as we call it today, or washing of yourself with water. And water became the key feature. So actually a Jewish person who had immersed themselves or cleansed themselves through what we call ritual cleansing was right with God because of the act of ritual cleansing. 
Now, this was a massive thing they used to do. They, this took hours to do. If you examine some of the buildings, for example, of the high priests, they would have many of these in their home, these cleansing pools they were really, and you, you didn't just wash in a basin, you washed in a pool. And they would have four or five of these in their house, like a swimming pool cut out of the rock. Uh, they were called mitfas, and they would go into these pools way over their heads, down through steps, go through a cleansing process, and it was so religious that you couldn't come out the steps you came on, otherwise you were unclean again, had to do the whole thing over. So there was a step, set of steps out the other side. Interestingly, the water itself was dirty, filthy, tepid, putrid water. It stunk. It just sat in there for eight, nine months of a year and they would go in and see, the issue was the water didn't cleanse you. It was the act of going into the water that cleansed you. If they had done enough of that, then they were right before God, especially the high priests. And they would spend hours in this. So they believed rightness with God was through ritual cleansing. Now you notice Jesus talked about water a lot. He talked about, He actually went the opposite to what they were doing. He said, instead of external pools that you will go and cleanse yourself in, I will give you rivers of living water that will come out from within you. And uh, what does that mean? Well, He was talking about the day yet to come. Now let's examine these four verses in the context that Jesus is talking. Here's the first one. The first one talks about the two disciples of Jesus who here, that He has been buried and put in the hole in the ground, the tomb, but He had been resurrected. So they run to the tomb to see this great moment, but they did not go in. At least one of them did not go in. Now there's a reason. He stopped at the door of the tomb because of ritual cleansing law. If you went into that tomb, you would have to literally go and spend a long time going through rich. He was Jewish. So he knew he'd have to go into ritual cleansing to get right again after being in the presence or the room of a dead person. Isn't it amazing though, when you think about it, how many of us miss the power of what God is doing because some religious thing keeps us from going into all of it. And we miss stuff God is doing because of religion background. There's a lot of people that get frustrated by the type of thing we do here because their religious mind says, this can't be church. Because I've got these effigies that we look at, or this we do, or that we do, or these processes, this can't be church. So they miss the best moment of what God is about because that thing gets in the way. That's almost happened to these disciples. The second verse that I read was the story of the Great, the story of the uh, Samaritan. Now, what happens here is this, Jesus is telling the story. A man is beaten up, left on the side of the road. He's bleeding, he's hurting. Two religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders are walking down the road and they see the Samaritan man, uh, sorry, the, the sick man lying on the road. And they choose to cross the other side and not go near him. You know, when I sort of, times I've heard people talk about that verse, it's often been, see, religious people don't care about the needy. Religious people don't care about the hurt and pain. They cross the other side, especially sometimes in more formalistic approaches. Oh, they just want to get on and do their business. Anyway, a Samaritan man, he's not Jewish. He comes up and he gets down and starts washing this man, cleansing him, puts him in a hotel and makes sure. And Jesus said, that's what we need to be doing. Now, sometimes I've heard, as I said, that it's all about how the religious people are towards that stuff. This is not true because... Actually, the problem was for those religious leaders was ritual cleansing. 
They were on their way to perform a task. And if they went near that man, they would have to delay all they were doing. Now watch this. Their heart could have been crying out for that man in his need. Their heart could have been drawn to him, but religion got in the way. Not their heart. Their heart can be drawn and they, they may have even been in tears for that person. Don't misread some people's actions. Sometimes it's just pure religion gets in the way, but they have a heart towards the things that need to be done. The third story is an interesting one and often misrepresented because it's the story of Peter. Uh, Peter, the, the amazing, he's the up and down, he's the up and down disciple. He's and then he's down, and then he's up. Sort of the bipolar ministry of Peter, you know, there I am. And so Peter's, they're going on a journey, you know, they're out there and um, they come into a house. Now they have to go through some cleansing. Usually what they would do is take off their sandals and some servant would come and wash their feet and make them clean so they could do what was needed in the house. I suppose the symbolism of that today would be if you arrived at somebody's house in your car and it was dirty, they would go out and wash your car. Anyway, so Jesus gets down and he starts to wash the feet of the disciples. And Peter says, I am not having you wash my feet. It's not happening. Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, I can wash none of you. I can cleanse none of you. Absolutely nothing of you can be cleansed. Peter says, wash all of me then. (laughs) How does he do that in one moment? I don't know, but that was Peter. And I'll tell you how that happens because he's Jewish. He, he got it. He knew Jesus was talking of something greater. He knew Jesus was heading towards something else. And he picked that moment and saw what was going. We've used it as a servant leadership model. It has really very little to do with that. Jesus talked about it a little bit, but servant leadership isn't washing feet. Ritual cleansing is linked to that. And it's all about the ritual cleansing process. So Peter saw the truth of what Jesus was trying to do. And of course, we know shortly after that, the cross came and we understood the cleansing through the blood of Jesus, through His death on the cross. The last Scripture was the book of Hebrews 10. And I wanna read it to you again now with all of that in background, okay? Now, Hebrews is in the New Testament and it's to the Jews. It's called Hebrews, not a coffee brand. (laughs) Hebrews, not a coffee brand. It is a book to the Jews. So the Jews, sorry, it's an old one. Really bad one, and it's an old one and a bad one. Okay, all right. Here it goes, look at this. Hebrews 10, 22, the same verse before, watch it now. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Then he drops into the mode, the writer drops into the mode, talking to connect that to the Jewish context, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What does he say now? He says, as a Jew, water was good, but it's faith now that changes everything. It's not ritual cleansing, it's faith. Having full assurance that faith brings. You can't revert to the traditions of old. You have to live in the realm of faith. You see, the thing is, A lot of people think that if I need to become a Christian or get right with God, whatever it might be in your language, I've got to do certain things. I've got to practice certain things. I've got to be, I even tried that before I became a Christian. I tried to do certain things to be acceptable to God. There's people in your world, and maybe there's a few of you here today who once said, if I go to church, the roof will fall in on me. 
meaning you're that bad and God won't like you and the roof will fall down, which says nothing for German engineering. <laughs> but to be honest, but here's, here's the problem with that. It has nothing to do with you or me. When I became a Christian at 17, my story was such, and I'm not going into it, but probably everything you could do in the world I was doing. My life was miserable. I was bombed out on alcohol and drugs most of the time. I was trying to keep up with life. I was a highly energetic person, so I was, a, I was a session musician. I was also had a job, but I was out with my mates every weekend doing stuff. And then one day at all, I realised it was all just nonsense. It didn't make sense. I was as empty as you could be. And my mum said to me, I want to take you to church. It was a great church. It was, I went to the church and it was full of young people. It was a growing church. The only problem was uh, for me is, is I experienced as a church and it was outstandingly impacting, but I hadn't yet met Jesus, the person of the church. The spirit you feel here today is not created by the music and the lights and the smoke and the rest. It's created by the river of living water that we have Jesus living within us. I went home that night and that Sunday night actually, and I sat down on, a ta- uh, on the kitchen bench and I said, I don't know who is up there, God, Jesus, whatever you might be. I had no idea. I didn't know the language. I just said, if you're there, I receive you. And it was like a lightning bolt. I remember it every day of my life. I have done for 45, 48 years now. Hit me in the centre of my head and a straitjacket came off straight away and I was set free. But here's the thing. I didn't ask God to receive me. I tried that. I received Him through Jesus by faith. That's the good news. We talk about the good news. Here's the Gospel. I'll tell you what it is basically. It's you don't bring anything to the table. I bring nothing to the table. He brings it all. The good news is I don't have to get right before God. He is God Himself and is right before God, so to speak. So I'm receiving Him. That takes faith. Because some of you will say, I need to know all about this before I do anything with it. Faith says you don't know all about it, but you need it right now, so you take it. Hebrews talks about faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jesus is that substance that you hope for and He becomes the evidence not seen as it worked out in your life. As even Joyce was saying, watching her mum and dad and then her life and, and the family life, it works out. What does it start as? A moment of faith. You don't need to understand it all. I don't need to understand it all. I just needed to know uh, I I receive Him, He doesn't receive me. If you're working in a religious mind frame, mindset that says, I've got to get right for God. I've got to be good enough. I've got to be like the rest of you. I've got to act this way. I've got to behave this way. You're missing the Gospel. That's what religion will teach you. It's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, receive. I, I am here to be received. Receive what I've done. Yes, but I don't understand it all. It's by faith. Faith changes everything. I want to talk, that all I've just done, that's the introduction. Now I want to talk to you about faith very quickly. And I want to talk to you about the greatest faith of all. The faith that does really change, it changes your worldview. It changes your perception on life. It changes it. Well, I want to get to that at the last moment. Are you with me? All right, let's go on the journey. Because when you talk about faith, there are a number of types of faith, I think as you discover or read in the Scripture. So we're going to read one from Jude. A a, a very good one there talks about this. Jude 1.3 says, I had to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. I call this 
our, our doctrine of faith, if you like, the things we believe in. The writer here is suggesting that we need to be able to answer our faith beliefs. And the early church formed faith beliefs really quickly. Like uh, they had the doctrine of the Trinity. They had the doctrine, we have a doctrine around Scripture. By the way, you can go online and search out on the Hillsong page and you'll see a statement of faith. That's what he's talking about there, that idea of what we all believe in. Here's what's fascinating. The statement of faith that you have in this church is no different to any other major church in the world. We believe in the Trinity, salvation by Christ alone, Scripture, all of those things. The only difference is how we practice it. So people will walk into something like this and say, what the heck is this? This can't be a church because it, their religion gets in the way or their idea of religion gets in the way. It's got to be like this, got to be like that, got to be like this. All we've done is change practice. We've just said, let's be, let's enjoy our, actually, let's enjoy this thing. Let's actually have fun with this thing. It's the good news. It's not the bad news. So many churches talk about the bad news. We believe in the good news. And now we have another one called fake news. And boy, there's a lot of fake news out there when it comes to Christianity, let me tell you. And I'm not talking about media. I'm talking about how people believe it works. Actually, we have a doctrine of faith. We believe in that. It's important to have it. Our practice should never get in the way of thinking it's different to anybody else. It's the same. We are essentially the same. If you don't believe me, have a look. It's true. It's fantastic. I love that part. We're not some sidebar of Christianity. Our doctrine of faith is like everyone else. Here's the second type of faith found in the book of Matthew. And I call this believing faith, Matthew 9, 29. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. This is believing faith. I love this one. This is good, but it's not the best one. I love this one, believing faith. Where you believe God for stuff. That's what he's saying here. You can actually believe God for stuff. Now, I noticed today you had prayer requests and there was a lot of them on the, on the screen there and, 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 and you brought up a number of them. I reckon that moment in church is very important and so precious because then you have praise reports. Now, prayer, prayer requests are things that we're praying that God might do, we're believing for, yes? Praise reports are often the result of that prayer. So you, the two go hand in hand. You have Prayer, prayer requests and praise reports. That's believing faith, where you believe. I love that idea of believing faith, where it changes the world around you because you're believing in a different way. You know, a lot of people say, well, um, I don't understand it because we don't seem to have faith. In Scandinavia, where I live, they often, I had a person say to me, in Scandinavia, we don't, we don't have faith. We don't have faith like, like the African people do or maybe some other countries like that. And I said, oh, you have lots of faith. You guys have got plenty of faith. You've just got faith in the wrong things. And, uh, and I said, well, here's the deal. I mean, in Scandinavia, Germany, for that matter too, if you get sick and you need an ambulance, you've got faith they'll be there within a certain period of time. When you get to the hospital, you've got faith that the doctor will look after. You've got faith in the system. But in those countries, they don't have a system like that. If they get sick, they'll fall down on the roadside or in the house and nobody comes. So they reach out in faith to God. See, I want to tell you, sometimes we have more faith in the system than we do in God. 
You know, when it comes to tithing and giving, and you talked about it, Joyce, so well, I've written books on tithing. I think it's a, it's a fantastic subject that everybody, as she rightly said, should engage in. But here's the point. What happens is, I think sometimes we get so tied to the system of what's in our bank account, how much we've got, what our next pay rise might be, and we forget believing faith. That can take us beyond what is in the system to a greater level. So we run everything by our system instead of what faith draws out of us. Now, I planted two churches when I was about 23 with my wife. That's a dumb thing to do. Don't do that. It's way too young. We went off and planted a couple of churches and then we came back to Melbourne, Australia and we took a, well, we, did, we started a Bible college. It was linked to a church and the guy running the church, a few years older than me, he'd just built a new building and uh, the building seated, right, I guess, around a thousand people and he'd taken a crowd into a church, you might say, and uh, he, he'd run out of money. So I, I remember we couldn't even get light fittings. We just had no money. So he... Um, he was a great man of faith and, and he still is today. And he called me to his office as I worked further down and he had an intercom, I'll never forget, and he used to buzz the intercom. And he used to call me Wilson. I felt like that basketball in the Tom Hanks movie, Castaway. <laughs> you know that one? Wilson. That's what I felt like. An empty ball of nothingness. Anyway, Wilson, get up here. So I go up to the office. Now his office overlooked everything on the land. And he said, look at our building here. We need to get paths, concrete paths all through the, around the building. Now that's a massive, I mean, these paths are massive. You can't have a little tiny one. They had to be for the prams and people coming. There were hundreds of people coming in. And I said, well, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, I'm going to believe God. And I want you to believe God with me that we will get paths for free. And I said, okay, well, how are you going to raise that money? I, didn't you not hear me? We're going to pray right now that God will give us paths for free. I said, Okay, well, I sort of prayed. I prayed a doubting prayer. You know those prayers you pray, but you think, I don't really, this is not really going to work for me, but I'll pray it anyway. And I did that and he, and anyway, about a month later, I go back and the concrete trucks are there. They're pouring concrete everywhere. And it's just paths are getting laid. And I ran up to his office and I said, how did you do this? Did you get a bank loan or something? He said, I told you, I believe in God. I thought you prayed with me for this. And I said, oh yeah, I did. And he said, well, I'll tell you what happened. About a few weeks after we prayed, a young man came to me and he said, um, Pastor, I've just become a Christian here and it's radically transformed my life. It's totally different. But I haven't got much to bring to church. I don't know what to do, but I'd like to do something for this house. And he said, what do you do for a job? He said, I lay concrete paths. <laughs> and that's a big thing in Australia. That's all you do with, in some jobs. And the pastor said, I want concrete paths around this building, but I haven't got anything where I can pay for them. And the guy said, don't you worry about that. It will all be done in the next few weeks. And we celebrated that moment of faith. Well, about three months after the paths were done, I get the intercom calling it. Wilson, get up here. So I'm running up there. And we're looking out. Now in the land, on the land, the church was growing. There was a huge crater-like hole where the cars needed to be parked and we couldn't fill it. And he said, Wilson, I believe in God will fill that hole for free and give me a car park. I'm not stupid anymore. I just got in and prayed the right way, <laughs> believing I'm not going to muck around with this. So we prayed. Again, a few months later, I come back and there's trucks backing in and out. Now this, this crater hole was massive. This was not a little puddle type thing. This was a, like, a, like you needed a hill to put in there, a mountain. Anyway, I said, what's happened here now? And he said, well, the local community is building a road, a bypass. And they had this mountain hill thing they had to move. So they came to me and they said, could we put our hill in that hole? If you let us put that hill in that hole, 
we will flatten it and tar seal it so you can park cars on it. And, and they said, are you interested? And he said, not really. And he said, of course. So they filled the hole. Oh, don't you love that faith, guys? You know, I know there's people in this building and, and your pastors and team, they believe like that. Join the rest of community to have believing faith. Lift your sights in believing God in everything you do. Here's the next one very quickly. And it's found in uh, Corinthians. It talks about the gift of faith. It says there in Corinthians 12, 9, to another he has given the given a gift of faith. I love the gifts because the gifts are very much like salvation. They're given to you with no merit. You don't deserve them, but they're given to you. And um, gifts come from the Holy Spirit, actually. And in this crowd today, there are all sorts of giftings that have been given by God. There's 21 gifts in the Bible. The amazing thing about gifts is you just don't, you don't, you don't say, I'll have that one. The Holy Spirit just gives you a gift. Now, what is a gift? People say, what is a gift of faith, gift of healing, gift of miracles, gift of serving, gift of giving, that's a gift. But they're all, they all correspond to duty as well, or responsibility is a better word. You can't say, I'd love to give to the offering, but I don't have the gift. We're all called to, you can't say, I don't wanna serve because I don't have the gift. And I'll tell you why it works like that, because gifts are heightened ability to do beyond the normal. That's what a gift is. So when you meet a gifted person in the area of serving, giving, all those things and all the other gifts, they have a height and it just comes naturally to them and they just believe and God does things. If I was, if I was not feeling too well, I'd, I'd wanna know where the gift of faith is. And there's some of you out there that can just believe God. You have that language of faith. You, you talk it and, and people go, what is it with you? I wish I had, well, often it's a gift. And it's out there. So there's, you need to read those things because you've got them. They, they, they are filling this room. And when they work in the church, they build the house. But there's another type of faith and it's found in the book of, uh, from memory, Galatians, I think it is. Galatians 5.22 and it's called fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, this is a fruit and not a gift. Fruit have to be planted and they produce fruit. It's a seed that you plant. Gifts are given to you by no merit through the power of the Holy Spirit. This one here, there's no such corresponding gift to any of those. There's no gift of love. There is no gift of joy. There is no gift of peace. There's no gift of patience. I wish there was, then I'd say I didn't get that one. Uh, you know, when it comes to planting fruit, patience is the one I've got to do the most on because I am just a very impatient person. And uh, I, did a, I did a test on this once and got minus 10 on patience. And, and the thing didn't even go to minus, just was zero and I went right out. And you know, when we go out, if I go, if I go to a coffee bar or something, there's two people in the queue, I go find another coffee bar. This is just way too busy. If we go out to dinner with the family and there's a queue, they'll sit me down and say, Dad, do something on Instagram, but don't stand in that queue with us. It's just painful. That's why if you follow me on Instagram, I'm first on the plane all the time. Now, I celebrate that. I celebrate that because I'm planting seeds of patience. <laughs> I have beat wheelchairs on planes, I'm telling you. They always go on first. I just run around the side of them. <laughs> telling you, I'm, I'm on the plane first. And I love that. About And somebody wrote to me, a very good friend of mine who... Who, who flies a lot and he said, you might be first on the plane, 
but I'm always first off the plane, meaning he sits right up the front. <laughs> oh, I'd love to do that one. But I love being first on the plane because then you just watch the backpack people get on the plane who have no idea of life. They're the people that just swing around and knock you over. They're the people with the... Have you seen the backpacks with all the tassels on them? And they just have these tassels. And you think, what are those tassels? What are those things for? They don't use them. They're just there. If they don't get you with the backpack, they will get you with one of those tassels as they turn that or fly and smack you in the face. And then they're the ones that hold up the flight because they spend all day doing this with the tassels. You know, they're putting those in and then they shut the thing. Oh, there's another tassel. They're usually students with smelly socks. But that's just, that's my experience. I'm not saying that's true of all. So, you know, for me, as you can see, that, that one I need to sow. But there's a difference between receiving a gift and sowing into your life, sowing seed. And, and you've got to keep sowing. And so a lot of the stuff in our lives that comes to us, like love, joy, peace and patience and faithfulness, is just turning up, is just sowing. People say, it doesn't really matter if I turn up. Well, actually, you're sowing a seed of faithfulness when you turn up. More importantly, it provides great atmosphere for everyone to see and feel. And, and it's just sowing a seed. Yeah, but I don't really want to. These, I'm just a bit tired. Well, sow the seed, sow the seed, sow the seed. Sow the seed of joy, sow the seed of these things. And it produces fruit, different to gift. Are you with me? Now, here's the one I've been working for all day. It's this one. And it's found in 1 Peter and it says this, 1 Peter 1.9, For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want to help you with this. None of the other faiths I've mentioned mean anything until this one's received the goal. Until that goal is accomplished, which is the salvation of your soul. The moment you receive Christ into your life by faith, everything changes. You can then become a believing faith person. You can then understand the faith of the church. You can then understand the gift and the fruit. It's the pivotal point that launches everything. Can I help you here? The reason we gather here today regularly on Sunday and do all of this is not that we might get goosebumps, that we feel good about ourselves, that we have a touch from God. All of that's nice and it's important, but it's not the goal. The goal is that people would meet Christ. Now your problem today is you think you've got a pastor. I think you've got an evangelist. I mean, he loves to see souls saved and Joyce too. They love to see people one to Jesus because that's the biggest faith moment of all. That changes everything. Jesus was, a man came to Jesus who's blind and he said to Jesus, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Which is a very interesting question. And he asked it every time of somebody in need. Imagine if the blind man said, said well, I'd really like a new donkey. <laughs> well, what would Jesus say? Ha <laughs> ha, funny. <laughs> you're healed, it gets clear off, you're not getting a donkey. No, he would have given him a donkey. He would have said, go down the road around there and there's a donkey. This man said, I want to see again. This is what Jesus does. He spits on the ground, makes mud, and then puts it all over his eyes. How bad can it be now? You're already blind. Now you've got mud all over your eyes. <laughs> People know you're blind because you've got a stick or somebody helping you and you're walking. So he then says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Cleanse yourself and you'll be made whole. So this man, blind man, walks down the road. Can you imagine the people watching this? Look at this guy. He's already blind. And now what's he got mud on his face for? What's he thinking? But it's indicative of our world. Our world is spiritually blind. They can't see where they're going. Have a look what's happening today in the world, in the laws that are being created. Blindness. 
Worse than that, the muck and the consequence of that blindness is now covering our eyes, their eyes. Not only spiritually blind, but covered in the muck of the world. There's people here today who are just like that. You know that, you, this means I've got to get off. This, this is the pianist. Do this. They do this everywhere I go. Clear off. No, I love you. I love you a bit. Do, do, do it good. She's not listening to me. She's got ear, she's got ear thing. Anyway. Better get going. So this blind guy starts walking down the road, mud on his face, indicative of all the problems of that life brings. Yeah, I want to tell you something about this. If, you, if you're outside of Christ, it is a spiritual blindness and it's endemic of everyone. But some of us have more mud than we need too. Some of us have not only got it in ours, we've got it all over us. Our world that we've got into has made us dirty and messed our lives up. He goes to the Pool of Siloam. Now, the Pool of Siloam is not some little duck pond with a little bit of water in it where you splash it on. It is a huge ritual cleansing basin. It's there today, you can see it. Hundreds of people every day would go down the steps into this water over their head, cleanse themselves and do the ritual cleansing. So the blind man starts down the stairs. He goes into the water and he washes the stuff off his face. All the mud goes. And he opens his eyes and he can see. But he doesn't turn around and go out the stairs he came out. He carries on through the pool and up the other side and he's made whole. That's how it happened then. How does it happen today for you? The same thing. Blind, covered in mud, faith. Faith in Him. Faith that He has done it all. Faith that says, I don't understand it all, but I receive what I understand it to be. Faith that says, I take what Jesus has done and I, and I know he will, he will come into my heart and change my life as I am. It's not trying to get that mud off. It's not trying to see. It's actually faith in what He's done. That is the greatest faith of all.